Well, welcome to the Hills. If you're watching online, we're a church with three campuses in Tarrant County at North Richmond Hills, South Lake, and West Fort Worth. And we're delighted that you're with us today as we start this new series, Christmas Reframed. Because isn't it true that we seem to associate Christmas with taking lots of pictures? We're going to give you a chance on every campus next week to get your picture made. So I thought I would go back this week and look at some old Christmas pictures from my life that I haven't seen for a long time. And I thought I'd share a few of them with you. So my mother gave me a book shortly before she died. It was my baby book. I'd never seen it. It wasn't the kind of book you put pictures in, but you write things in like day he was born, what he weighed, first steps, first words. But as I looked through it, a picture fell on the floor. It's this one right here. And mom had written on the back, Rick's first Christmas. I had never seen that picture till last Tuesday. But there I am with my mother and my father. That was my very first Christmas picture. Well, two years later, my brother came along. And so we started the tradition of always having to get our pictures made together. So there we are rocking our onesies, me and Mark. Then a little bit later, we're wearing our ugly Christmas robes that my mother and father bought for me. And yes, we were the family that had the ugly aluminum Christmas tree. Anybody remember those? That was us. Now, the next picture just goes to show, I don't care when you live, the junior high years are awkward, okay? <laughs> so we're rocking our bell-bottom striped hippie pants, and there's just no way to look good when you're in junior high. The last picture is when I was in college, and we were rocking our new long-sleeve golf shirts. And then it came time for me to have my own family picture. So, of course, there's a picture of me with my new bride, our very first Christmas together in our little house in Abilene. Our next picture is our first as parents. We adopted uh, Michael back in August, and that was his first Christmas with us. You can tell how proud we were. And then two years later, Morgan came into our lives, and it's been a joy ever since. And then five years later, we were totally shocked by the arrival of Matthew. And so, the next picture I show you, because that's the very first Christmas picture of our family of five. And like you, we've taken one every year. Now, I'm not going to show you... My kids growing up through the years of Christmas because, number one, they would hate me if I did. And number two, I need them to take care of me when I get old. But I will show you our picture from last year. My children are all grown now. They have jobs. They live on their own. But we still get together at Christmas and we get that picture made. And you do the same thing. In fact, isn't it interesting, not only do we take more pictures at Christmas than any time of the year. But we even feel compelled to send our pictures out to lots and lots of people that we barely know so they can see us too. We even put letters with our pictures so they can know about what we're doing. And we're all tempted to embellish. You know, you get that letter and you roll your eyes when you read, Jimmy wants to be a Navy SEAL and Julie wants to get an internship in France. And you know the fact is, Jimmy got kicked out of the Army and Julie flunked out of French. But we all want everyone to think it's better than it is. There's something about Christmas that wants us to give everyone the perfect picture. And we're going to be talking about that for the next several weeks, leading all the way up to Christmas Eve. I really do hope you'll be inviting friends. Because is it possible the reason Christmas rarely works out as perfectly as we hope 
is because perhaps we're looking for the wrong perfect. Still, I love it that we take pictures. It just seems appropriate that we take pictures because here's the big takeaway for our series. That Christmas reframes how we picture everything. Christmas challenges us to look at everything in a new light because it announces the most startling claim in history that God has become a man. So, Larry King, in the last 50 years, has interviewed more famous and powerful people than any person alive. And he was once asked if he could interview anyone in history, who would he choose? He said, I would choose Jesus. And I would ask him, is it true you were born of a virgin? Because if he was, that would define history for me. Now, the uh, noted Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias wrote Mr. King and said, did you really say that? And may I quote you? And Larry King wrote back and said, I did say it. And I didn't say it facetiously. If Jesus was actually a God who became man, it changes everything. Whether or not you believe in Jesus, you have to admit his birth was so big, it has literally divided history. We look at history on the basis of, did it happen before Jesus was born? Or did it happen after Jesus was born? He has divided everything. And he continues to do so. John put it like this. Every spirit who confesses that Jesus Christ came to earth as a human is from God. And every spirit who refuses to say this about Jesus is not from God. That's pretty exclusive, but that's what the early church believed to the degree that you could not get baptized unless you answered this question. Do you believe that the man, Jesus, is actually God come in the flesh? And your baptism was your public announcement of faith in that startling claim. Look at that same verse from the message. Everyone who confesses openly his faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came as an actual flesh and blood person, comes from God and belongs to God. And everyone who refuses to confess faith in Jesus has nothing in common with God. You see, most religions are built on concepts or principles Or ideas that don't necessarily depend on who the founder is. But Christianity is not like most religions. Because the foundation of Christianity is the identity of the founder. God came to earth as a man. If that's true. It changes how we look at everything. David Platt, a well-known author and pastor, was in the Far East. He was in a conversation with a Buddhist monk and a Muslim imam. And the conversation was how all religions basically are more alike than different. They're simply quibbling over different ways to reach the same goal, the pursuit of God. So David said, let me see if I understand what you're saying. It's as if God is at the top of a mountain and we're all on different sides of the mountain. So we're all going up the mountain different ways, but we're all going to wind up in the same place 
finding God. They said, exactly. And then he said, but what if God came down from the mountain to find us so that we would not have to find him? They said, that would be great. He said, let me introduce you to Jesus. All religions do basically ask this question, how can a man get to God? But beneath that is a bigger question. Who is this God we're trying to get to? And Christmas completely reframes the answer to that question. If Christmas is true, everything gets a new view. Including the most important thing of all. Who is this God? One thing Christmas says is that God is on the throne. Now we live in a world that often seems out of control or even worse, under the control of very dark powers. Every day we get a news report, we see a headline, and we are reminded that very wicked People still run the world. But this is not new. The world has always been run by the Herods of the age. But Christmas bids us to live in hope in the midst of a world where the Herods seem to be winning. Because one thing we remember is that Bethlehem was not a last-minute brainstorm of God. Christmas happened because God keeps His promises. You go back to the very start of the Bible when the man and the woman turned their back on God and sinned. And God says something very powerful to the serpent that tempted them. He said, through her, the woman's seed, I will bring a deliverer. You will attack his heel, but he will crush your head. And starting there, the rest of the Bible is telling this big story of God's plan to redeem his salvation and bring redemption to the whole world. That's why he chooses Abraham, because he's going to first create a people through whom a Savior can come. And then he's going to rescue Israel out of Egypt to foreshadow an even bigger deliverance on the way. And he's going to establish a kingdom through David to foreshadow a kingdom that will be eternal, soon to be inaugurated. And he's going to raise up prophets who are going to very specifically predict what this Savior to come is going to be like. And then one day, in this really obscure little village, a baby starts to cry. Because God's keeping His promise. Now, the promise has been opposed. There have been potentates and princes that have tried to stop God's plan. But the baby still came. Because there is no king, no ruler, no power, no sovereign. There is no Herod who has been or ever will be, that can stop the Almighty from His declared intention to destroy evil and rescue His creation. 
God is going to do what He said all the way back in Genesis 3, He's going to do. He's going to bring to the earth, through the seed of that woman, a Savior who is going to redeem His creation. You see, the star of Christmas is God. And that's why in all the birth narratives, people who realize what God is up to just keep praising Him. When the angel announces to Mary what her future is like, she bursts out in worship song and says... My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. When the shepherds go and see the baby and come back to their fields, it says they were glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. When the baby's very young, he's taken by his parents to the temple. An old man and woman are there looking for the redemption of Israel. Simeon is holding this baby, realizing this is the promise. And then Anna walks up and says she came along as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. And she began praising God. And she talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So Christmas reframes the reality of the world. That seems so dark and so wicked. And it reminds us that God is on the throne. His throne is always occupied. His throne is never threatened. And shouldn't that reframe how we deal with darkness? That we don't give in to despair. We don't become cynical. We live with this pervasive hope. As we cope with the temporary powers of darkness. Because God is on the throne. And God has not left us alone. Because Christmas pictures a God that is in our midst. He is above, but He is not away or aloof. The God that is over it all has chosen to be in the middle of it all with us. And so, Matthew recalls the prophecy 700 years earlier of Isaiah in his birth narrative. And he says, all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Please notice, Jesus' name is not God was with us. We sing this time of year, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Christmas pictures a God that not only is real, but He has chosen to be real close. That Jesus chose to get right in the middle of our muddle. That's one reason He's such a faithful high priest. We can go to Him and we can ask for grace when life is hard because He gets it. He fully immersed Himself into the realities of the struggles and the frailty of humanity. And so, when we call Him Emmanuel, what we mean is, He understands. Because He's been there. Jesus can say, Me too. You ever been so poor 
that your stomach hurt from being hungry. Jesus has been there. Have you ever been so without resources that you weren't sure at night where you could lay your head down? And Jesus would say, me too. You ever had your members of your own family turn away from you, even with contempt? You ever been misunderstood? Misinterpreted? Have you ever been slandered and criticized by people who were protecting their own selfish agenda? Have you ever been betrayed by someone that you only ever did good to? Have you ever had the people that you have loved the most let you down when you needed them the most? Have you ever been in a place where in that moment, deep, deep within, it seemed you had been forsaken by God? And Jesus would say, me too. And doesn't the picture of a God that understands reframe the way that we view and we cope with the hardships of life? God is with us does not mean that we will never experience pain and sorrow. What it does mean is that we can, in the midst of pain and sorrow, also experience the very real presence of Christ. I mean, in the moment when it is the hardest, we can experience this supernatural empowering of grace and comfort and this peace that passes understanding. And so we don't go through life pretending it's easy, but we don't go through life always bitter and cynical and angry. Because Christmas pictures this God that is with us in all of it. A God that's always looking out for us. Because most of all, we have a God that is on our side. Christmas doesn't just picture a God that's with us, but a God that is looking out for us. Who is for us. In fact, who is willing to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so the angel announced to the shepherds in the field, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news that will be a great joy to all the people. Today, your Savior was born in the town of David. He's Christ the Lord. I've got some good news for you. A Savior has been born. 
Well, what has He come to save us from? Remember what the angel said to Joseph. She will give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Okay. Let's just get out into the open. The most controversial thing about Christmas. The thing that causes most to miss Christmas. So there's little more than just lights and packages and bills. And it's this. That Christmas challenges the way most of us picture ourselves. You see, the birth of a Savior is not good news to people who don't think they're all that bad. And the truth is, we think we're pretty good at being pretty good. And we all know the narrative. God saves good people. So just make sure you do more good things than bad things and you're fine. Who really needs Christmas? I was intrigued by a survey that People Magazine commissioned a few years ago. They called it the Syndex. And they asked people to rate sin by its level of offensiveness. The top three worst sins your American neighbors decided were murder, child abuse, and spying on your country. After that, it got interesting. Most Americans said that cutting in line is a worse sin than sleeping around with whoever you want. And that parking in a handicapped spot is actually worse than breaking your covenant and divorcing your mate and leaving them. But the thing that stunned me the most was they were asked to rate how often they sinned. And the answer, 4.64. Now, what do you think that is? Times an hour? A day? A week? Try a month. Americans figure we sin about 4.64 times a month. In other words, your typical neighbor says, Yeah, I sin probably once a week. And if you are that good, why do you need Christmas? If I'm okay and you're okay, why was there ever a Bethlehem? You see, Christmas reframes the diagnosis of the human condition. And it rebukes this popular idea that we're all just basically good. And we have within ourselves the capacity to be good enough to save ourselves. So, again, the... Apologist Ravi Zacharias was having coffee with a young Muslim in Jerusalem who had come to Ravi very confused about his faith because he had overheard recently a a Muslim sheik and a Christian missionary in a conversation where the sheik had ordered the killing of eight Israeli soldiers in retaliation for their killing of four Palestinians they viewed as criminals. And the Christian missionary said to the sheik, Who makes you judge and jury that you can decide who should die? And the sheik responded, 
I am not judge or jury, but simply an instrument of the justice of God. The missionary said, where then is forgiveness? And the sheik replied, forgiveness is for those who deserve it. And the young man asked Ravi, if forgiveness is only for people good enough to deserve it, then it's not really forgiveness, is it? He said, I'm so confused because our faiths have two such radically different pictures of God. You see, most religions and most people, they see God as very distant. He is a judge. He's sometimes ticked off. He's making a list. And he is keeping a list of who's been naughty and who's been nice. And Christmas totally reframes that view of God. It says God is on your side And God is going to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And what God is going to do for you is die for you. You see, the biblical witness is that we're all fallen short of the glory of God. None of us can ever be good enough. The wages of sin is death. Only a sinful man should die. Only a sinless man should could die for someone else. And there is no sinless man. And then Christmas gave birth to this radical, mind-boggling, angel-shocking possibility. What if God became a man? And sinless God-man went to the place He did not deserve so that we could go to the place we could never earn. John put it like this. This is what real love is. It's not our love for God. It's God's love for us. He sent His Son to die in our place to take away our sins. God is not up in heaven making a list and checking it twice. God sent Jesus to the earth to take that list and nail it to the cross. And I don't have to wonder if God has my back because He placed my condemnation on His own back. And looking through the lens of Christmas, I realize I do not have to ever convince God to be on my side. He already is. And Jesus was born so that we could see that. You see, Jesus Jesus is the best way to picture God. And His birth challenges that popular narrative that God is distant and God is angry. And God needs to be appeased. So you better be really, really good. No. Christmas is wanting you to know how good God really is. God wants you to know who He really is. And John put it like this in his gospel. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of un.
unfailing love and faithfulness. That's God's character. But no one's ever seen God. But the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. And he has revealed God to us. So I had a thought this week I've never had before. Do you know who Jesus is? Jesus is God's selfie. Now, God wanted to give you a picture of who he really is. And so God took a selfie. And a baby was born. And that baby didn't come to change God's mind about you. That baby came to change your mind about God. This past year, the church lost a wonderful man named Nabil Qureshi. He lost his battle to cancer. Nabil was born Muslim, converted to Christ, and was a powerful uh, proclaimer of the gospel, and especially among Muslim people. And he had a dear friend, a girl named Sahar, who was very attracted to Nabil's uh, message. But she couldn't get over one thing. She said, Nabil... To believe what you believe, I would have to believe that God came through a birth canal and had to use the bathroom. Isn't this beneath God? And the bill said, Sahar, if you have been invited to a very magnificent occasion and you put on your finest clothes and you were almost there and then you saw your daughter drowning in the mud. Would you protect your pristine dignity or would you jump into the mud to save your daughter? Of course I would jump in to save her. What if you were with other people? Would you send them to save her? No, it's my daughter. I would go get her and save her myself. And he said to her, if you would give up all your dignity to save the daughter you love, can you believe that God would give up his majesty to save the children and the world that he loves. And with those words, the Holy Spirit opened her eyes to see the God of Christmas. And she became a follower of Jesus. You see, when you see God through the lens of the coming of Jesus, it changes the way you look at everything. Yes, this world is evil. But we look at God through the lens of Christmas and we know He's on the throne. He still has the last word. And the world is hard. But God is with us. He hasn't left us alone. And we're all broken. But our hope is not in our goodness anyway. It's in our trust in the goodness of Jesus. We look at God through the picture of Christmas and we realize not only is God saying, I got this, but God is saying, I got you. And so I've always treasured the story of the missionary I heard that went to Africa to a part of the continent where people lived in fear. The shamans and the witch doctors 
told the stories of the gods that were angry and were constantly sending their curses and you have to do these rituals and make these sacrifices to keep them appeased. But the missionary told them about a different God. A God that came from heaven to earth as a man and went to a cross. There was no sin in him, but all our sin was put on him. So that all that the goodness that was in him could be put on us. And this old leprous African woman stood up and said, All my life I knew that somewhere there must be a God like this. Christmas pictures a God like no other. And I hope you can see that more than anything because then you will see everything. With more hope. Let's bow our heads. So God I pray that these words. Have honored you. To those who have walked with Jesus. A long time and have heard this before. I pray that these words. Have confirmed. Their faith. For those that are new. In their walk with Jesus. I hope these words. Have encouraged and built up their faith but father I'm praying right now especially for the person listening to me who doesn't yet know if they have faith who's wondering if they could ever connect to you father in the power of your Holy Spirit help them in their heart to know right now That they can find you. Because you came in the person of Jesus. To find them first. I pray this revelation. And ask for it in Jesus name. Amen.